I want to talk just for a little bit this morning about the love of God. Okay. I don't have a clue what you're saying. <laughs> oh, yes. Just let me just say, with the surgery, they are waking her up every hour on the hour um, when this is done. And so they request no visitors today or tomorrow um, um, till Tuesday or so. And then they welcome the visitors. They want visitors. But with the way the program works, they, keep, they wake her up every hour and hour to ask her a sequence of questions. And uh, so just keep them in your prayers. It's the best way you can help. And uh, I want to talk this morning about the love of God. And uh, we live in a world where there are very few constants. Things are changing all around us. People who think they work for 20 years at a company think that they will retire from that company. And we're seeing circumstances and situations arise all around us where that's not the case anymore. Uh, maybe you've gone through that. Maybe you have a friend or a neighbor, a relative gone through that. But I know just in the last year I've heard of several circumstances. Some in the workplace for 20, 25 years and sorry, we're done. No more work. Very few constants. Think in the area of morals, the deceitfulness that's all around us. Um, yesterday, or just this week, I was at a store just buying, trying to buy a little Bluetooth keypad to go with my iPad. Mine broke. And I uh, went in there and the lady says, you ever used this before? And I said, yes, I got one. She goes, well, why are you buying another one? I said, well, a couple keys broke on mine. She goes, well, just throw it back in the box, take it back to Best Buy, get another one, then put the broken one in there and return it. And I said, no, I'm not interested in doing that. I'd do that. I mean, after all, I mean, it's, you, you pay good money for this stuff and it doesn't last. And I said, no, I'll just buy this one right here. She goes, no. She goes, I would take it back right you. She goes, why don't you do that? Next thing you know, there's five workers around her trying to convince me and not sell me a product that I went in there to buy, which I walked out and didn't buy it. I just thought to myself, good night, for 20 minutes, try to persuade me to steal, more or less. I was just shocked. Um, no constants with that. <laughs> no constants with the immorality that we see in TV shows. I think this week I had probably the worst confrontation I've ever had in my life from somebody coming to the church wanting money the worst ever I've ever experienced in my life. A lady pulls up into the parking lot there, right to the left there, and she walks out, and she walks over to me, and I just happen to be out by the carport, and she grabs my arm, puts her arm around me, and pulls me over to the side, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I don't even know you. And, uh, you know, and I'm a pretty nice guy, but I'm not that nice. But she proceeds to tell me, she goes, this is my car, it's old, it drinks a lot of oil along with gas, and you need to help me. And I'm sitting there going, really? I just kind of have a smile on my face like I do when people come up to the church, as they do, it's fairly frequent during the summer months. And this lady just goes, well, you need to help me. And I'm sitting there going, why do I need to help you? And I said, we have people in our church that are going through cancers, and we have people who are struggling with illnesses, and I said, quite honestly, I really have, 
if we have opportunity to direct funds, we direct it within our church first. And I said, but right now we just don't have a lot of extra funds. Well, I can't help those people who have cancer. I, that's not my problem. I'm just sitting there going, wow. My car here has got 208,000 miles on it. And it, it just oil just runs through it. And you need to help me because you're, you're a pastor, right? You are the pastor, right? And pastors are supposed to help people. And I just kind of looked at her and I'm just like, wow. She's just like, boom, 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 boom. And she just wouldn't stop. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm just, I'm not going to help you. I was just blunt with her because she was just irritating me. And then she just kept going. And I was trying to walk away and she was, she was following me. I'm just like, are you serious? She goes, listen, I was born in 60. I don't care about these people who were born in 80 or 90. And I'm just like, whoa, my car's got 208,000 miles on it. For the fourth time she's told me. And finally I looked at her and I said, you see that truck right there? That's got 244,000 miles on it. Not 208. And it drinks oil too. And then David comes along and she goes, David, I want, to, I want to talk to you for a minute. I said, no, you'll not be talking to David. And I'm just like, are you serious? The audacity of people. I just blows my mind. Um, I look around at what's going on and I think, we're missing something here. But she believed that she deserved it. Politics. It won't go there. But just think, are we ever going to have world peace? Not going to happen. As far as I'm concerned, there's only one constant in this world, and that's the love of God. And that will never change. In Ephesians chapter 3, this is not going to be our main text this morning, but in Ephesians chapter 3, I love this passage as I was reading it. Beginning with verse 14, it says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that He may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to you, according, I'm sorry, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through His Spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and the depth of God's love. And to know the Messiah... Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I think about that. That's what we need. And I guess if I could say it this way, that would be my prayer this morning as well. That you might know, as he puts it here, that you might know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so you may be filled with the fullness of God. Apart from that, we have no hope. Does that make sense? Apart from experiencing the love that we have in Jesus Christ, there is no other hope. And it was His love that paid the price for everything that we'll experience in this life, as far as salvation. Love is sometimes based on feelings, on finances, on fatigue, failure, or success, etc., etc. Man places conditions on love, but God is faithful. It's the same. He loves mankind. He died for the world. 
It's the very nature of God to love fallen sinners like you and me. As we think about that this morning, I just want to challenge you. Have you experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus? I trust that you have. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning for a few moments. 1 John chapter 4. You may have this title of some sort above your um, chapters in your Bibles. Knowing God through love. 1 John chapter 4. And I really want to concentrate on verse 9 and 10, but I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 as well. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Um, when you look at those first two verses, it's kind of a little bit of a foundation. It says the person that loves, truly loves, that's the person who's been born of God. And apart from God's love, we don't know how to love. So coming in verse 9 and 10, he says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. As we think about that, there are several key words there, and I think it really comes down, um, I get cross-reference in John chapter 1, verses very quickly. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. And then verse 10, it says this, He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, yet the world did not recognize Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, he, became, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us, and we preserved all His glory, the glories of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we think about that, that is a power-packed... Uh, a text of Scripture that really lays it out that God became flesh and dwelt among man for one reason. That He might be the salvation of the world. And He talks further about that in John chapter 3, verse 17. That they came into His own, or came into the world not to be served, but to serve man, give His life a ransom for many. He gave the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price, gave the ultimate gift so that you and I could, what? Have salvation. That we might experience firsthand the love of God through Jesus Christ. And it's interesting here that there are a couple of key words that really stand out. And the first one is in verse 9 in our text there. It's the word sent. Apostoleos is a really interesting word. And it has three thoughts here. Number one, to send out a commission to perform certain duties. As God sent His Son Jesus Christ into the world... He sent him not without purpose, but with purpose to perform a certain task, to perform certain duties. Secondly, it's the idea of being sent off to do a great job. It's a sending off to do a great job. And then number three, it's a past complete action with present results. 
In the original language, it's a past action with present continuing results. Let me illustrate it this way. Oftentimes, when someone goes on a mission trip, we have a what? A send-off. We may gather at the church, we may uh, lay hands on them, we may pray over them, and then we send them off, so to speak, in a prayer that will, uh, and pray for them that much will be accomplished while on the trip. We're going on that trip for a purpose. We hope to be a real blessing on the mission, uh, to the mission or to the missionaries that uh, we're going to work with, whether it be in construction, whether we're painting, whether we're hoping to see some souls saved, uh, whether we're trying to uh, reach new people groups that they haven't reached before, but we're going there with a purpose to accomplish a specific task. We don't want to have no effect. We want to go there and have great effect when the trip is completed. So when the time is up and we're on our way back home, we trust that what we did while we were there will continue to be a blessing to them long after we are gone. This is the idea behind this word sent. God sent His Son to do a specific task. He did that task. And once He is gone, the work that was accomplished will continue to go on and on and on and so forth. What He did thousands of years ago is still benefiting us today. And can I stop right there for a moment? Christ was commissioned. He was sent off by God, His Father, to come to this earth to perform a task of dying on the cross. And in doing that, He gave us the greatest gift of eternal life through salvation. Sometimes we have this idea that, well, that's past tense. It's over. It's done. That's not the case. And this whole idea behind the word sent is an idea that it's a past completed work that will continue to go forth for years and years and years to come. And sometimes, as we said the other night in Bible study, we live in the past. We look at the church in its heyday. Well, in its heyday, we had this many people. Or in its heyday, we gave this much to offerings to, to missions. In its heyday, we did fill in the blank. I can remember when. And sometimes if we're not careful, we live in the past. And that is not where God wants us to live. And that's why behind this word is an idea that He did it, but it continues to have results for years on end. Because the love of God never stops. And what He did for us will never be completed, at least not until we meet Him one day. So it continues to have results. And Christ gave us this life. And He didn't want it to end. But sometimes we act as if, well, it's over, it's past, and we don't have to worry about it any longer. In chapter 5, verse 11, it says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and His life, and this life is in His Son. If we want life, if we want to expect anything out of this life, we find it through His Son. Nowhere else. I don't know about you, but in the last couple of weeks with everything that takes place, we hear of people developing cancer. We hear of people who are sick. We hear of people who are going through difficult times. And I think for a moment, what I'm going through is nothing. Nothing. Compared to what some people are going through. And I think that God has a reason. He has a purpose. 
We search for the significance of life, so to speak. Sometimes we find it in family, which is not a bad thing. But some people find it in their job. Not a bad thing if the perspective is right and the focus is where it needs to be. Some people try to find their significance in having fun, going through activities and actions of life. Some people try to find their significance in immorality and, and the, 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 the pleasures that they get from it. Who knows? But God's word is so clear. He says, this is life in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. And the things in this world that we've said before, 1 John 2, 15 and following, for all that is in the world, what? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The end of that passage, that text, says the world will what? Pass away. Two things that will span the test of time. Souls of men, word of God. What are we building on? If we're building anywhere else, it's going to be in vain. I mean, think about it. You can have all that this world has to offer, but apart from God's love, it's nothing. Where are we finding our life? Where do we find our significance? Where do we find our joy? What would you do for eternal life? Um, I like Discovery Channel. I like History Channel. I wish I could get cable just with two, three channels. Fox, History, and Discovery. I'd be good. I watch those crazy documentaries that probably no one else enjoys. I watched a documentary on the science of cryogenics. Have you ever heard of that before? Cryogenics? Cryogenics is where they actually, people, and this is actually happening today in our world that we live in, in places in California, great big mammoth freezers. As someone dies, they can pay an exorbitant amount, by the way, rather than be buried, rather than be uh, cremated, you can be frozen. Perfectly preserved moments after you die to one day be revitalized. Crazy. But people pay tens of thousands of dollars for this. I mean tens of thousands of dollars. Packed away in freezer warehouses like sardines. Because someday, man's going to have the technology to be thawed out and given life afresh and anew again. People pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for this, in some cases. But one question comes to mind. What happens when the power goes out? <laughs> Isn't it crazy? But this is happening in the world that we live in. Life outside of the Father is not life. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I could be wrong on this, but I think anything over 70 years is bonus. The three score years and ten. And the bottom line is this. Our life is in God's hand. And we can do whatever we want to try to preserve it. We can do whatever we want to, to have a better quality of it. 
or what we think will be a better quality of it. But when it's all said and done, life is not life without outside of Jesus Christ. It's nothing. Jesus Christ says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. John 10, 10, the second part of the verse says, I am come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. In Romans 6.23, the second part of the verse says, The gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where life is. In Jesus Christ. And this stems, by the way, back from God's love to mankind. It says we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. That's life. Second thing that I think is an interesting word here is not only the word sent, not only the idea that he went to perform a certain task, completed it, and had it continues to have a, the effect for years and years to come, but the second interesting word in that passage is the word propitiation. Colosmos is the word there. It has the idea to appease or render favorable. It has the idea to appease or render favorable. A pagan worshiper would bring his gifts to appease or make favorable himself to his God or gods. The sins of mankind cannot be swept under the carpet by good works, no matter what they are. Sin has a price. Sin has a price that needs to be paid. So in this particular passage, it's a sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, it says it's an indescribable gift. An indescribable gift. God sent His Son as a sacrifice to appease the sin account that we have. And there is nothing that we could do in and of ourselves to pay that debt. Jesus Christ paid that debt for us. And that's interesting to think about. Because every one of us, as God's Word puts it, we're born in trespasses and sins. You've heard me illustrate. What's the word trespass mean? To step across the line. We were born, so to speak, on the wrong side of the line. We were born in sin. And Jesus Christ paid that price so that we could be put on the right side of it. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned, Jesus Christ paid the price. Because you and I had a debt we couldn't pay. We forget about that. I'm guilty. We wake up every morning, and I think we're all in the same category. We wake up every morning not thinking about the things of God most of the time. Most of the time we wake up, and we kind of start our day, we get our coffee, we take our vitamins, we eat our breakfast... We get dressed, we do our whatever it is that we do. But do we think about this is another day of life from Jesus Christ. And as a believer, we have a responsibility to live in a certain way. A holy, sinless life, righteous life. To the best of our ability to please the one who died for us. Do we think about that? And when we yell, man, I hate that. I am so guilty of this. I want to do so. I want to be that righteous, holy man. 
anybody else. But my flesh is so stinking strong. I want what I want. I want people to do what I want them to do. My family to be what they need to be. Myself to not do certain things and to, to do certain things. And then the flesh gets in the way. And we just go on. We stop and think. Every time we sin, that's a sin for which Jesus Christ shed His blood. Every time we do something that's against the very nature and character of God, every time we step across the line, do we stop and think, that's a sin for which Jesus Christ died and shed His blood. Do we understand the gravity of sin and what it cost our Savior? I don't know that we do. It might change the way we live. Oh, we want to, but our flesh is so strong. And we can't do a thing about it in and of ourselves. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that what? Not of yourselves. It's that gift we talked about. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us we think about it, we cannot do anything in of ourselves. It's total dependence on God. Total relying on Him. So God sent His Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice that would appease the wrath of God for the sin account that we have and could not pay. What was His motivation for this? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His what? one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He paid the price. That was His motivation. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. His motivation is love. Past, present, future. Finished work, Continued action and result. And sometimes we get the notion that God could not love me. Maybe we've done something we deem unforgivable. Maybe we have never experienced true love in our lives. God can and does love us like no one else ever could. I've heard testimonies where people say, well, God can't forgive me because of fill in the blank. So last time I've read 1 John 1, 9, he says if we are, if we what? Confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? What is it? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is willing to forgive and cleanse if we are willing to confess and forsake. Some people have said, well, if God's forgiven, if God's going to forgive me, then why, why does it matter? Because Romans tells us we're not to abuse the grace of God and make it of no effect. So every time we're confronted with our sin, we should deal with it. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, if you would. Romans chapter 5. We'll look at a few verses here. I'm going to begin reading verse 6. 
says, For a while we were still helpless. At the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us. And that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his word, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. What's he saying here? Even though we are born sinners, God has declared us righteous because of his work on the cross, because of his love. As we go a little bit further in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, Height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I think about this, that excites me. I may fail man, man may fail me. But the bottom line is, God's love is consistent. It's constant. When we think about that, that ought to give us all hope. That would give us joy. The fact that He has finished the work. And nothing can change that. So the question I have this morning is, what what does that have to do with you and me? If you want to have life, if you want to have real life, you will only find it in Jesus Christ by accepting the love that He gave us through His Son Jesus on the cross. Nothing else. It's in what He's already done not what I can do. I can't do anything. I can't pay the price. Because it's a debt that I, it's too far, it's too great, it's too huge. But he paid it. And that's the greatest gift that anyone could ever give. The gift of God's love in Jesus Christ. It's constant. It's sure. It's there every day. So the question this morning is, have you accepted that? If you're here this morning, I don't know what your background is, but God does. But I know this, He loves you. He loves you as only He can. Many of you have experienced man's love and it's been disappointing. All of us have a testimony of somebody who's hurt us. Somebody who has taken a crack at us and beat us down. It was inconsistent at best. But God's love will never fail. I like that song. God, love, love never fails. Love never ends. Never runs deep on me. I can't even say it all, but I love it. When it's going, I'm, I'm blaring it. Going on K-Love and probably someone's looking in the window and saying, what's that guy doing? Yeah, just singing that song. I love that song. Love never fails. Never runs out. Never runs out on me. That's God's love. Generally, Father, Lord, we 